0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. I'm Steve Beggs. I'm one of the elders here at Upper Room, and it's my uh, privilege to read the scripture for us this morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word.
1: Uh, In a couple weeks, we are moving the clocks back, right? When is that? When does that happen? November 1st. Okay. So it's a, it's a wiser way, but I'm already thinking about it because my wife makes fun of me every year. It happens because she's like, you think that like you've won the lottery of time that somehow, like I've already spent the three hours before I've even got the hour. I stay up way later than I should. And she's like, you know, it's only an hour, right? And then I'm more tired the next morning, but I'm one of those people that wishes there were more hours in the day and I would have no trouble using them. For me, it's like, how can I squeeze the most hours out of every part of my life? Now, Um, she's a little bit more of a wiser person when it comes to time. So she's more of a saver with time. I'm more of a spender, regardless of, of where you are in that spectrum. Um, you probably probably share this in common is that we all feel like there's not enough time to do the things that we want to do. You want me to check this now? What was I talking about time? We all feel like we don't have enough of it. And uh, you're not naive to this. You know we're in the middle of something that they call the technological revolution. And technology has afforded us all kinds of opportunities. It's allowed us to do many more things much faster. And so what that means is that the expectations that you have on your time are much higher than those uh, who lived in past generations that because we are able to do things faster, the expectations that you have, the expectations that your employer maybe has on you, the expectations that family and friends have on you, are higher. It used to be that if you, uh, even in the age of the telephone, not that long ago, you called someone, they weren't there, there was no answering machine, you'd maybe find a way to get back to them later. Now it's like if you haven't replied to my text within three seconds, what are you doing? And who are you texting instead? And you must be talking to somebody else because otherwise you'd be talking to me because I need to know now. And it has increased what we are able to do, but it has also increased the speed and the pace. And so somehow, we still feel like we don't have enough time to do what we're supposed to do. We still feel like we're chasing the expectations. And never mind the ones that others have for ourselves. I don't know about you, but most days I go to bed thinking, man, I didn't get done today what I had hoped to get done. It is a technology revolution that has sped up time the interesting thing is, though we have lived through this revolution, another age in invention and human capacity, two things have not changed, and they never will. You have limited capacity as a physical human being. Your body, in one sense, has not changed. Sure, we found uh, you know better science around nutrition, and so athletes are bigger and faster and stronger and able to do more, but they still die. Everybody does. And in fact, what we're finding is even the bigger, faster, stronger early on has a downside later on. And so kids are having Tommy John surgery when they're 15 or 20 and the bodies are breaking down. And so athletes are retiring earlier and earlier, getting out of the game because even the people that we would say physically are to the max can't actually handle the max. So the body's capacity really for life has not changed, though the expectations of it have gotten higher. Time has sped up in a sense, the expectations, but the body has not changed, nor has time. Nobody has found in all of their wealth and prosperity and intellect a way to increase. The rich, 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 smart, smart, smart people in the world still have 24 hours in a day just like you and I. And so though the expectations have increased, the capacity in real terms has not, both in terms of body and time, limitations. Now you know this, I'm not telling you anything new, but we are also in the middle in a sense of a psychological revolution that has affected the way we think. I want to read to you a quote from Derek Thompson, senior editor of a, uh, a publication called The Atlantic. And he says this, John Maynard Keynes, who was an early 1900s economist, predicted that the age of abundance, which he said is, would be the 21st century, which is where we are, would make us all relax because it would be easier to get everything we need, like food, clothes, and entertainment. But maybe knowing that there are 10 great TV shows you should watch, nine important books to read, eight bourgeois skills your child hasn't mastered, seven ways you're exercising wrong, six ways you haven't sufficiently taken advantage of the city, etc., etc., fosters a kind of metastasized paradox of choice, a perma-FOMO, the fear of missing out. Knowing exactly what we're missing out makes us feel guilty or anxious about the limits of our time and our capacity to use it effectively. FOMO is a widespread disease. We all have it. And technology has actually made us more aware of what we don't have and what we might need and what we might be missing out on. So the over or the metastasized, as he says, perma-fear of missing out has completely set in. And so it's not just the technological revolution that is driving you and I at a pace that we cannot keep up with, it is a mindset that thinks I'm missing out on something. I need to do this. I'm I'm not able to do this. I just found out that I was missing the boat for the last 10 years and I've been doing it all wrong with my kids or I've been doing it all wrong with my body or I've been doing it all wrong with my money or my work. It creates a fear of missing out. And here's why FOMO is so deadly to us. Because when you are strapped, when you feel like I can't do enough and I'm running out of time and I don't have enough time, the danger that you will misspend or misuse the time is actually higher, right? Because when we are fearful and panicked, we are impulsive, We are non-reflective, and so we do something quick with our time, or suddenly something comes across our path. We read an article, or we have a conversation with someone, and we think, i got to change my whole life now, and so tomorrow I'm doing something that I've never done before. Or now I'm stopping something, and I'm starting a new habit, I'm going to try to do it for 22 days or whatever. And FOMO just drives it, so now suddenly I keep making decisions and keep adding things, and then over time I find I'm overcommitted still. And now I'm not even sure I'm overcommitted to the right things. It is a kind of drivenness in life that is motivated by fear. And then underneath we think, well, how do I know I'm actually living the way that I'm supposed to live? And FOMO is so deadly. Because it often leads us to making choices that later on we think, you know what? I didn't get what I was supposed to get out of that. I didn't get the returns I was expecting. This didn't deliver. It just didn't work for me. And so we are caught in a fear and yet not able to get ahead of it because every time we add something to the plate, later on we think, I don't know if that actually took anything off and now I find my life is busier and more complex. You know, we're just starting a series called Rooted. And the idea is that, and we talked about this last week, that we are actually not machines. That the Bible actually describes our lives and our spiritual lives as trees not perfectly built, well-oiled machines programmed to do exactly what they're meant to do with updates that come down all the time. But we are actually living things that have the potential and the capacity to grow. That given the right conditions and over a long period of time will slowly grow. And those, those, that, that life grows strong, it grows healthy, it grows into something that is actually able to bear fruit. In our lives and i said to you regardless of your faith background regardless of where you've come from the idea of growth and maybe you don't use this word but fruitfulness as in kind of being effective or being having something to give other people around you because that's what a tree does it provides fruit for those around it that idea is very appealing to all of us it's probably underneath what is our deepest desire for growth in life and uh back in the summer when tony was preaching through the parable of the uh, sower and the weeds he made a, a very profound observation He said that the greatest danger or opposition to growth in our lives is having an overcrowded life. He talked about how this idea, Jesus said, you know, this is some things good things growing up, but then weeds grow alongside of it. He said the danger of weeds is they're taking up valuable resources from the great things that are trying to grow. They crowd out life. And see, this is what FOMO risks doing in our lives. The fear of missing out as we add things to our schedule is it, it potentially could crowd out other things that we add or crowding out the great things in life that need to grow. And so we have to come to God's word and, and really come every week and say, how do we do this? How do we actually grow? If FOMO is killing me, what's the cure? Well, we're, uh, Steve read for you a passage from Matthew 6. It's part of a, of a famous sort of section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was talking to his followers, the disciples. He had a group of people. We don't really know how many of them, but they were people that were coming to him to learn and grow. And there was probably a broader crowd because there always was when Jesus was talking. And he begins to explain to them, actually, uh, the issue with FOMO. And he said, and, and, and they lived in a very different day than us, long before the technological revolution. Long before permafomo had set in because of the way it has for us. And yet he was talking to a group of people who were they were subsistence livers. They were farmers, they were fishermen, they were people who worked with their hands, tradespeople, and they lived day to day, hand to mouth. So if, if it didn't grow, if the rain didn't come, you didn't have it. These are before modern farming methods. If you didn't catch any fish, you didn't eat. And you couldn't sell, and you couldn't buy, and you couldn't provide for your family. It was literally an existence that, forget all the other stuff that might be in life, this was pure survival. It was hand-to-mouth, day-to-day. Which makes what Jesus says to this group of people very stunning, right? What does he say to them? Don't worry. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Don't worry if we can uh, take this license underneath that. Don't worry whether your kids are going to have lunch tomorrow. These were people living just day to day, not so far removed from our lives. And he says to them, don't worry. Why do you worry about all this stuff? He says, look around. Look at the birds, how they sing and build nests and live season in, season out. Look at the flowers. Look at the grass. It grows. It's, it's there every time. It's beautiful. So seek God's kingdom first. and Don't worry about all this other stuff. Now it sounds a bit like Bobby McFerrin meets the Pope, right? You guys didn't laugh. You don't know who Bobby McFerrin is. Ooh, 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 don't worry. Ooh, is it coming back? Be happy. It's like, don't worry meets the Pope. Don't worry, be happy meets the Pope. Ah, don't worry. Just look at creation. Really airy fairy, right? Look at the birds and the trees. Don't they look nice? Trust God. Let's move on. <laughs> But Jesus' words were so insightful. We just need to camp out here for a moment because what it meant to them, it's the same as what it means to us, Though 2,000 years and a whole bunch of technology separates us. See, Jesus was putting his finger on something that we need to know in our lives. Here's the thing. When you are time-starved, you are in great danger. Here's why. Let me make an analogy. Supposing you are money starved. You're financially starved. You're in huge debt. Okay, you've racked up eighty dollars to $100,000 of debt. And you are sitting in this place. Well, what, what someone who is in a lot of debt needs to know, they often do the opposite thing of what they need to do to get out of debt, regardless of how they got in. The most important dollar that that person spends is the next one. The next one. But often what people who are in debt do is if I'm looking at a mountain of debt, oh, what's a $4 coffee at Starbucks anyway? It's not gonna help me pay that $100,000 debt, so I might as well have it. It's not that important, the next dollar's not that important. Or I feel so buried and paralyzed by the situation that I'm in, I'm just gonna go on a vacation. Or man, that sweater is me, it's got me written all over. I'm just gonna buy it, because I just need to feel a little bit better about this pit that I hate. What are they missing out on? The fact that the next dollar is their way out. The next dollar. Dave Ramsey, who does this Financial Peace University stuff, it's really good if you've never seen it. Can't really buy it here in Canada, but you can look on it. I don't know, Americans are so... Heat. But anyways, he says... He calls the debt snowball. He said, when we're looking at a mountain of debt, it's usually, it's not one item that's that's racked up the debt. It's a whole bunch of things. And he said, we often get paralyzed because we just look at that thing. But he talks about the debt snowball. He said, what you actually have to do first first, is pay off the, the smallest debt. Pay off the smallest debt. Even if it's a hundred bucks, put the next dollar to the smallest debt. And he said, what happens is over and over, and this was a guy who made a million, lost it all, went into bankruptcy, and then made his way out. So he said, by, by his own uh, life. One dollar after another, you pay the smallest debt first and then you start to create a snowball effect because now you're realizing, wait a second, I can actually get at this. I have money in my hands. If I put it here, it begins to make a snowball effect and debt goes away. You see, this is what Jesus said to us about time. That in a permafomo society, the next hour you spend is the most important one. The next hour what you do with the next one. You see, what what happens is we lose orientation in time-starved. And so if you're anything like me, and maybe I'm going to be the only one confessing here today, so that's how it works, right? Some of you grew up in churches where you went and confessed to the priest. This one, the priest confesses to you every week. So when I'm time-starved, I spend the next hour sometimes like a person who says, well, what's a $4 coffee when I got $100,000 debt? I go, oh, whatever, I'm just going to watch this show. Or, you know, like it's 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 hard when you're baseball team has not done anything for 23 years and suddenly this is like it's like well okay and it doesn't give much back to me but I'm just gonna do that and I'm so time starved I'm gonna or you all do this right you some of you like and you don't want to admit it to your employers but use those of you that work in computers and you have emails coming in what's the one you're reading the ones from all your dumb friends with those subjects like has a like you know there's a thread going on forever you have like so much to do and you're like clicking on that email I wonder what they're talking about, you know? Oh, here's a video of a cat with its face stuck in the vacuum cleaner, right? Like, this is what we do with time. When we're, when we're stuck, we're paralyzed. We start to not value the next hour. And Jesus says something so profound to that. Here's what he says. He says, look, why do you worry about life? And he's saying, you know, he, he knows it's not just life. He says, because there's more to life than just that. But let's say food, clothing, shelter, all this stuff that takes up our time. He says, look, the pagans run after all these things. Now, the word pagan just means somebody who doesn't know God or who doesn't know that there is a God. And so here's what he says. People who don't live life or people who live life as if there is no God, they spend their lives running after stuff. And the, word, the Greek word used for running means like anxious striving. It's this kind of desperate pursuit. It's a chasing almost. Chasing something that you can't quite get. And he said, listen, if you live life without a knowledge that God is actually there, you will chase and strive and strain and desperately grasp all of this stuff. But, he said, your heavenly Father knows you need them. See, this is is interesting, right? We would kind of expect Jesus to look at our agenda and go, you waste so much time. All this stuff is not important. Why do you worry about it? It's not what he said. He said, the pagans, the people who don't know God, chase after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. He said, these things, the stuff that fills up your life, yes, it's important, but seek first. See, Jesus introduced an idea to us that is a, is a rescue law, a lifeline out of It It is the fact that there are such a thing, there's such a thing as a first thing and there's such a thing as a second thing. There are first things and second things in life. To us who are so strapped in the middle of time that we lose sight of the value of any hour and we end up spending one hour here when it was way more valuable to spend over here because we've lost sight of the value of an hour because we are paralyzed by an overcrowded life. He says, stop. There are first things and there are second things. And if you treat second things like first things, your life will be out of orbit. Do not live as if there is no God in heaven, and therefore it's up to you to make it all happen, and every hour has the same weight and the same worth, and everything you could spend, it's up to you. No, he said, God knows you need the things that you are striving after, but seek first. It is the rescue line. There's a first thing and a second thing. He says, Seek first what? God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean? And, and we should know this because in the biographies of Jesus, he talked all the time about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a way of life. It is a life that understands that everything is not just happening randomly that our job then is not, therefore, to respond to the world randomly because, you know, Andy Stanley makes this point in life. There's so many things we want to do, but we do them randomly. And he said, random activity begets randomness. So you think you should exercise more, so you kind of work out here and there, randomly. What does it do in your life? Nothing. You think you should try to have a budget or whatever, so you organize that, or you try to get better and you're going to, you know, move up to your degree and try to get smart, and so you do things here and there, and it's random, and so it begets randomness. And Jesus says, That's no way to live as if life is just willy nilly and it's all up to you to make it happen. The kingdom of God is the reality and the world where God is in control. And when he says, Seek that kingdom, he's saying, Live life in recognition daily of the fact that God is not just up there having wound up the world and set it out, but he is a God who is constantly invading space. He is the God of time and space and matter. He is the God who created you. He is the one who gave you the limits of body and time. And so if you have more to do on your plate in a day, chances are you have stuff on there that God didn't ask you to do. The kingdom of God is the way of life that says, okay, you know what? I'm not in control of all of this stuff. I have responsibilities. I'm a steward, but it's all his. And he's given it to me. So the kingdom of God, behaviors in the kingdom of God is saying, God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do with this day? God, I'm about to have this conversation in an hour. How do you want it to go? Because I know if I take it into my own hands, I know how it's going to go. You see, the thing that you and I do with all of our time often does nothing to reorient us to the fact that God is in control. Look that binge watching you do to, 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 on Netflix to get into the mind of that Colombian drug lord. <laughs> it does nothing to reorient your mind around the fact that God is in control. And you could do without with 50 less F-bombs in a day. Could we not? Really? And it's good that you know the words to I can't feel my face when I'm with you. But really, is that orienting your life, reorienting your mind? And it's good that you know for the 15th time how that starting pitcher last night just managed to lose hold of that game. But really, ultimately, is it reorienting your life? Now, hear me. God is not a minimalist, okay? He loves that that sweater looks good on you, okay? He loves that that nail polish brings out your green eyes. He gave you green eyes. He loves that you love to sing in your car at the top of your lungs, He does. He gave you that voice. He gave you a love for music. He loves that you love your favorite sports team. Even when they say that your quarterback is washed up and he still managed to pull it out in the fourth quarter on Thursday night. And the same night that your favorite team won, he cares. (laughs) He delights in the fact that we love watching people who are great at what they do. Whether they are artists or actors, God made everything. Jesus is saying, Look at the world around you. It's not a minimalist world, it's a beautiful world. He didn't just make flowers to be efficacious, that somehow they would provide pollen or whatever it is they do to nature. I'm not a scientist. He made them beautiful. He made things that are dispensable even beautiful, even things that are unnecessary that can get crushed by a wagon wheel going by, Jesus says, is beautiful. God is not a minimalist. He cares about the stuff in your life, but there's such a thing as reordering around what is first. It is the kingdom of God, Jesus says. Seek it, pursue a life and everything in it that reminds you that God is in control, that he has purposes for your life, that trump your purposes for your life, and that his ways are better and more joy-filled and more beautiful, by the way. This is what it means to seek God's kingdom first, to spend the next hour See, this is interesting because busyness is not just a function of time and not just a function of technology. Here's what a couple of uh, professors from San Jose State University said, and it's very profound. Our busyness is more than how to fit everything into the scarce time available. Listen to this. It is also associated with meaning in our lives. The way in which we see ourselves are inextricably wrapped up with busyness. Do you get what they're saying? These are anthropological researchers from San Jose University. They said how you see yourself determines how you spend your time. And Jesus is saying, remember, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Your life is not your own. And you should be humbled to know that you're not the one in in control. And you should be comforted to know that you're not the one in control. You are a child of God first and foremost. You are one that has been put here on earth with a purpose. And you have a resource in your hands that is finite, but that everybody gets the same amount of, and think about this, is running out every day. Do you get it? Can't get it back. Whatever many years you've had, that was what was given to you, and it was given to everybody else on earth. And every day that goes by, you've lost another day. And so don't forget who you are. You are a child of God with time, with abilities, with resources, with circumstances. Put in your hands. And Jesus says, remember, seek first. And when you do, he says, seek first God's kingdom, all these other things will be given to you as well. The ordered life that you and I so desperately want, the powerful life, the fruitful life, comes not because we know exactly what to do, but because when we seek first, when we seek the God of time, we cannot multiply time, but somehow he can. We cannot add capacity to our bodies, but somehow he can. When we seek him first, everything else begins to find its rightful place. And you know what drops off? The things we don't actually need. Get it? Because I don't know about you, but what I think I need is not always what I need. I think I need escape. I think I need a break. I think I need to relax. Not often. Most of us these days spend more leisure time in front of a screen than ever before, and we just know physiologically it messes with your mind. It actually doesn't make you sleep. TV doesn't make you relax. It winds you up. It gives you more to think about than what you had going in. So we know not always what we do is what we need. When we seek God's first, everything else is ordered, and we get what we really need because God knows what we need. It's interesting, right? Jesus is speaking from firsthand experience here. Jesus himself, who became a son of man, who became a human being, who made himself, put himself under the limits of human capacity and time capacity, and lived every day in dependence on his Father. Jesus, who was going to go to the cross and had to trust that God knew what he needed, had to trust a God who was going to provide for him every day, had to trust that when all his friends would abandon him, And God would forsake him that he would be vindicated and rescued. Jesus was also living as a subsistence liver that day. He chose not to use the powers of being God and humbled himself as a human being. And so, therefore, this advice comes not from God in the sky saying, you should try to just relax. It comes from God-man among us, knowing the limitations of time and humanity, knowing what it is to say, I have no other way but to trust God, because I cannot see myself out of this alone. This fall, we are starting this journey of Rooted, and in a couple of weeks, actually hopefully next Sunday, we're going to have some journals for you. And it's really going to be the first time, like as a church, we do CBR, which is community Bible reading, and so that's online. You can get a CBR journal where we kind of read scripture together and try to track together. But this will be the first time that we're actually going to say we are going to try to carve out some time together every day to put God first, to seek God's kingdom. So these journals have like basically a daily reflection for you five days a week. And they're going to be tied to what we're preaching about on Sundays if you're in home groups. And if you're not in a home group, you can get into one. But most of you are in a home group. But even if you're not, you can take this journey through. You're going to get to read every day. It's going to be about 30 minutes a day, maybe 30 to 40 minutes a day. And And I know because my initial reaction is I don't have 30 more minutes a day. So I thought we better deal with this busyness thing right up front. Some of you do have 30 or 40 minutes a day. You just have to do other things less and other things that aren't really helping you. Now, it might be easy. Some of you, may just, that just may mean you got to get up 30 to 40 minutes earlier, and maybe you can do that. Others of you, it may mean you just putter a little less at night. You just watch less. Or you spend a little less time on social media. Or you reorient a little bit of how your day goes. Some of you have way more flexibility over your time throughout the day than others. The issue is this. It's not that most of the stuff that you do is a waste of time. God knows you need it. But it's an opportunity as a church together to say, okay, we're going to seek God together. And I'm so excited about this for two reasons. One is the the times that I do this regularly, and I try to do it regularly, and I suppose it's easier for me now because I do this full time. And so if I can't find 30 minutes a day already, I'm in big trouble because I'm the one who's accountable for every hour of my day. So I know it's, I've sat where you've sat though. I know what it is to have a job that has all these other demands. You have all this other stuff and your employer doesn't really want you reading your Bible, whereas my employer does. Uh, So that's a good thing. You should all become pastors. I'm telling you, it's awesome. You'd have to go to other churches though, so don't, because I don't want you to leave. Um, You'll have to find it somehow, somewhere. But here's what I know. When I take that time, it truly does reorder my day. I don't know anything else in life that if I can spend 30 minutes doing it, totally changes how I think about my day. Totally changes how I feel. I can go into something feeling so anxious, so upset, so angry, so frustrated, so hopeless, and within a little, a few moments of prayer, as I've dumped it out to God and let his word be poured into my life, something changes. That's not magic. And it doesn't always happen, but it often happens. And what I've noticed is there's a cumulative effect Not randomness. Randomness doesn't lead to anything but randomness. But the cumulative effect of day after day seeking God. The day hasn't changed, but I have changed. I'm a different person in it, and therefore the day changes. My conversations are different. The outcomes, the way I see my work, the way I see myself, the way I see my loved ones, the way I see those obstacles in front of my path are different. And so this is the challenge we're going to be putting out to you in a couple of weeks to get on the rooted path whether you're in a home group or not. If you're in a home group, that'll just give you another opportunity in that week to seek him first, to give some space, to talk with other people about, you know, to commiserate or say, how do we do this together? But here's what I want to do for you. I want to ask you to do as you prepare for that. Two things. I want you to log some time for me. Some of you may know immediately how to get this, but on the back of your little bulletin up on the screen... I want you to log something just for a week because this is interesting, right? And financial counselors tell you to do this when you feel like you're out of control with your money. They say track your spending because we all think we know where we're spending our money and we're always surprised to find out where we are, in fact, spending our money, which shouldn't be a surprise because we're the only ones that do stuff with it. And so the same, I think, is with your time. Is that You may think you know where you spend your time, but track it. And I try to make it simple, gave you some chunks of the hour of the day and only track this. Just track your leisure screen time, whatever it is, Track any kind of magazines and stuff, any puttering that you do, so that could fall under just any kind of activity. You're not really doing a lot, but it makes you feel good or whatever. Or any kind of fun shopping. Just track in a week how much time you spend there. And maybe you'll find, you know what, I've got 30 to 40 minutes a day automatically. Others of you may say, okay, this is going to be i I'm going to have to cut something out that I'm not sure, uh, it's going to be an act of faith. And here's the deal. It is an act of faith. And that's the worship team come up, Is going to lead us in response. This is a faith issue. What was Jesus ultimately saying to his followers, to his disciples? Trust God. He is the God of time. So for some of you, this may be very easy. And the trust issue is just to say, God, I've done this before, but I've never felt like I've gotten a lot out of it. I, I don't feel like I've understood your word before. I feel a little bit confused. Or when I sit down, my mind's all over the place. So for some of you, it just may be a matter of trusting God that he will meet you as you are reaching out for him. Remember we talked about this idea of if God is the one who bears fruit in our lives and we're all trees, what is our our job if we don't make fruit happen? We are the ones reaching roots down deep trying to find life. And so for some of you, the faith step may just be to believe that God can do something he's never done before in your life, or maybe it's been a long time. Others of you, it's a faith step going, God, I am crammed front to back. I got to cut something out. I think it's really essential, but I'm going to trust you. Or I'm going to get up a half an hour earlier and my fear is I'm going to be tired because I don't feel like I sleep enough anyway, but I'm going to trust you. Without faith, it is impossible to do this, because it'll just be another thing on your list, or just be another thing you feel guilty about, and Jesus was wiping all of that away, saying, no, no, no. All these things are important in your life. God knows you need them. He is your heavenly Father. He loves you. This is not guilt. This is not religion. This is not another to do. This is a trust issue between you and the one Who, look around, provides everything for this beautiful creation. How much more valuable are you to him than that? So, we're gonna sing together just a song of faith saying, Okay, Jesus, lead me. I need to trust in you, I need to see you, I need to know that you're out there, and then I'll, I'll go and get you. So, let's stand together as we worship.